Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This podcast explores themes of murder and rape. Listener discretion is advised. The victims are typically young women, many of them runaways and prostitutes. The sheer number of murders raises suspicion that a serial killer is at work. Mountains of Washington offer some excellent terrain for hiding bodies. You're not finding a large number of bodies. He said to us, like, why would I change the way that I kill these women? Because it was working. I had a problem with killing women back then. You think of that as an illness? I don't know if it was an illness or I just mm -hmm. wanted to kill. Growing up, most of us will be taught how to escape in some way. We have fire drills at school, or when we get on a plane, we're given a safety demonstration. The guidance we learn is to stay calm and never to run. There are no guidelines for escaping a serial killer. No ground rules, no handbook. Ted Bundy and the Green River killer Gary Ridgway killed almost 100 women between them. But the list of victims should have two more names on it. Carol DeRanche and Rebecca Garday escaped with their lives and went on to help investigators put two of the most prolific serial killers in American history behind bars. In this episode, I'll find out how they beat the odds, escaped their would-be killers, and turned the tables in the detectives' favor. I'm Dr. Michelle Ward, and this is Mind of a Monster, Ted Bundy and the Green River Killer. Episode four, the survivors speak. It was a tip from this cemetery employee that led the Green River Task Force to the first set of human bones this week. But other tips are going unnoticed. That's what this woman says. She says she brought a hitchhiker to this same area last week, a man who was acting very suspiciously. When she saw our story on the search earlier this week, she contacted the task force. Uh, they took the information down and says, we'll get back to you. 
and they did not. And I was ready to go on it right now. Authorities don't want you to be afraid to report anything suspicious. The task force has received 10 to 20,000 tips like the one being received today. And no matter how insignificant the clue may appear to be, the detectives want you to contact them if you know anything. Because you never know, it might be a tip from you that finally breaks this case. When the Green River Killer is at his most active between 1982 and 1984, the community in King County doesn't just hide in their homes peeping through the curtains. They're out there, volunteering to search the woods for human remains and calling in thousands upon thousands of tips. But what if leaving a tip means admitting to a crime? Would as many volunteers show up to comb the woods for clues if they thought they'd get arrested? Former King County Prosecutor Patty Eeks explains the Catch-22 situation that Rebecca Garday faced approaching the Green River Task Force. She'd be admitting to her illegal sex work while providing the biggest tip they'd ever get. How big of a deal is it for Rebecca Garday to come forward? She was very brave to come forward. At that time, it was unusual that you would find somebody who was herself engaging in illegal activity, who would be willing to engage with law enforcement, tell them what happened to her in order to protect herself and the other women that were her friends. Rebecca Garday's bravery coming forward to talk to police is nothing compared to the bravery she shows on the day she meets Gary Ridgway. It's November 1982, just five months after the first of Ridgway's victims was found in the Green River. Rebecca is hitchhiking and gets into a pickup alone with Gary Ridgway. Rebecca asks if he's dating and offers him oral sex for $20. Ridgway agrees and follows Rebecca's directions to a nearby trailer park. In a corner of the parking lot, she asks to see some ID. Ridgway shows an identification card for the truck company where he works. Then she asks if he is the Green River Killer. Here's Rebecca in her own words. He said he wasn't the Green River murderer. He said he wasn't when I asked him. Rebecca Garde says that's one of the first questions she asked Gary Ridgway. It was 1982. She was 19. He had picked her up on the Pacific Highway. Back then, I was a little confused and naive, and I took chances, and this chance could have killed me. Rebecca clearly doesn't pick up anything strange about Ridgway when she first gets in his truck. The encounter progresses from hitchhiking to a sexual exchange quite quickly. By this time, nearly six months into his killing spree, Ridgway will have his deception routine all worked out. He'll have a number of ruses at his fingertips ready to deploy, as he later describes to investigators. In the vehicle, I had some of my son's stuff in there, you know, that he left in there, some Star Wars or something like that. You know, so it was, it was like a family setting. And she first she wants to see my ID. I put my finger over my driver's license to hide my name, but on the opposite side was um, pictures, and a picture of my son. And they would see to see my son, and they would know I was a probably normal person. But you were using, really using your son as part of your ruse. Well, at the time, I didn't want to picture my ex-wife there, so I had to have a picture of my son. You had to make it sound good. 
Ridgway's deceptions to give the impression to his victims that he's trustworthy are quite subtle. He's using visual cues and props, allowing whoever he's with to connect the dots and arrive at their own conclusion. Ted Bundy took a much more involved approach to deception. When he started out in Washington state, he'd act hurt or vulnerable, using crutches or a fake arm cast to persuade young women to help him. By the time he's killing in Utah, his act has evolved, as I find out from Carol Durant. Before we get into the details, would you mind introducing yourself? Uh, my name's Carol Ann Durant, and I was kidnapped by Ted Bundy in November of 1974. How old were you in 1974? I was 18 years old. I just wanted to start my life and live my life. Take me right back to the beginning of the day. Take me through how this unfolded. I, I went to work in the morning. It was just a normal work day. I'd only been there uh, probably not even six months. Um, I had gotten off work. It was probably around five o'clock. Drove home. I didn't really have any plans for the evening. So I decided that I would just head over to the local shopping mall, which was only a couple miles from my house. Going to the mall after work, totally normal activity for an 18-year-old. What happens when you get there? I parked my car. I had gotten a brand new car for graduation. My father had co-signed for it. It was a 74 Camaro. I uh, parked my car in the parking lot, um, entered into the mall. I hadn't been really very long at the mall at all and walked through and uh, stopped by a bookstore and was looking in the bookstore window at some books. Okay. I turned around and a man had come up to me and um, introduced himself as a police officer and said that he actually read me my license plate number. So he must have been outside and watched me pull in because he had my license plate number. And I said, yes, that's my license plate. And he told me that they had caught someone trying to break into my car. And back then, you had the, the cassette players, and I had one just installed because they didn't come with your car. So I thought that maybe someone, you know, had pulled it out and taken it. So he asked me if I wanted to go out to my car with him and see if anything was gone. Were you comfortable talking to a police officer? I hadn't had much contact with, with police. I, I, I wasn't afraid of him or afraid of police officers, so I thought I should go out there with him. Bundy's ruse requires a lot of effort. He must have staked out the mall parking lot to know Carol's license plate, and it takes a confident act to impersonate a police officer. But that's not to say Ridgeway isn't putting in the effort. There's no telling how long he spent driving up and down the Pacific Highway Strip, but his careful victim selection must have taken hours of searching. If you're thinking his truck would get noticed driving up and down for hours, he had a plan for that too. He told investigators that some nights he'd park, pop the hood, and pretend to be having car trouble, buying himself hours to stalk his prey. As different as their approaches are, the end goal is the same to get an innocent young woman alone where there's no chance of escape. I pick up with Carol as Ted Bundy is leading her out of the mall into a parking lot. We weren't really talking. I was kind of following behind him. He was leading the way. And we got out to my car and he, he knew where it was. 
and I opened the door for him, but I could see nothing was gone, so I kind of stood that back behind him. I was never, ever directly in front of him. And he, then that's when he said, well, uh, we have the suspect that was trying to break in your car. Um, they may, might have him at the substation in the mall. Do you want to, do you have time? Do you want to go over there and fill out a complaint? And I said, I said, sure, I'll do that. So you go with him back into the mall? I knew there was a, a substation in the mall, but I didn't know where it was. Um, but he actually walked across the street from the mall to another building, and it was back of a laundromat, and tried to open the door like it was the substation. And of course, it was locked. And he came back into the street, uh, on the side of the street, and said, well, they must have taken him down to the police station. He's not here. And it's that point that I said, can I seek some kind of ID? And he flipped open his wallet and he had a badge. And I said, oh, okay. So then we walked over on the side of the road and he had a Volkswagen parked there. And at that point, we got in his car and he asked me to put his seatbelt on, put the seatbelt on, and I said, no. I go, I don't ever wear them. And I don't know why I did that. I just didn't feel comfortable putting it on. At that point, I think I thought I had made a mistake. So I didn't put the seatbelt on. Eight years later, in the parking lot of a trailer park off Pacific Highway South in Seattle, Gary Ridgway isn't satisfied that Rebecca Garday is alone with him in his truck. He asks if they can walk up into some woods behind the trailer park, which they do. At a secluded spot, Rebecca begins her side of the arrangement, when suddenly Ridgway attacks her. He knocks her to the ground, pushes her face into the dirt, and wraps his arm around her neck in a chokehold. Rebecca recounts the frenzied attack to a journalist years later. He is a horrible monster, a, a demon trying to attack me. And, and he had it all planned. I know he had it planned. This is what he liked to do. I tried to talk to him. Why do you want to kill me? Why do you, why do you, uh, you know, want to take me from my family? I had to use as much strength as I could. He's very strong. He was, he had me on the ground. He was on top of me. We were rolling around in the ground. I picked up my purse and I ran as fast as I could. And I had to go get help. Rebecca says she was confused and ashamed. She didn't go to the police for months, but every detail stuck in her mind, his name, his face. I knew that he was out there still, and, and he may have found me one day. The picture Rebecca Garday paints is terrifying. What stands out for me is the word she uses to describe Ridgeway when the switch has flipped in his brain and he is set to kill. He is a horrible monster, a demon. While this speaks volumes to me about the duality of serial killers being both normal and monstrous in the blink of an eye, I want to stay focused on Rebecca. There's no doubt about it, she's in a fight for her life against an opponent who will settle for nothing less than killing her. To recognize that before it's too late takes incredible presence of mind before summoning the strength and courage to fight him off. For those few moments, Rebecca Garday is superhuman. She has to be in a fight with a man who has no emotions, with a man who is unhuman. Eight years earlier in Murray, Utah, 
Carol DeRanche has just gotten into Ted Bundy's VW Beetle. He started the car and turned the car around and headed away from the mall. And he was heading the direction towards the Murray City Police Station. I knew where it was, but he was going a, on a back street. What's going on in the car? What are you thinking? We were driving along towards the police station. We weren't talking at all, really. No conversation, just driving along. I didn't have plans for that night, so I thought, you know, this is fine. I, I can go fill out the complaint, get back into the mall, leave, that it would just be fine. Then what happens? Well, we were almost halfway to the police station when all of a sudden he just pulled over in the car, just pulled over. It was by an elementary school and by a hospital. And the roads were kind of lit. There were um, lights and it was raining, but he just jerked the car over and pulled over up on the curb. And I start screaming. I, then I knew something was wrong. And I start screaming, what are you doing? What are you doing? This isn't the police station. Why are you stopping? What's going on? I was in sheer panic. He was not saying anything to me, not answering me at all. He just got very violent looking. He was just crazy. He turned into a monster. He became very violent. He grabbed my right hand. I didn't see where the handcuffs came from. He grabbed my right hand, got it on the one wrist, and then he never got the other one on the other wrists. Oh my gosh. And I was thinking, and I know this is a cliche, but my whole life, which was only 18 years, was flashing you know, before my eyes. And I thought, my God, my parents are never gonna know what happened to me. So I really felt that he was going to kill me. And he was. I was just struggling with him in the car and he said, and finally, I saw a gun and he said, I'll blow your head off. And I just thought to myself, go ahead. I'm not going with you. You'll have to kill me right here. Listening to Carol's account, there's a moment that stands out for me. It's almost a mirror image of Rebecca Garday's description of Gary Ridgway. He was just crazy. He turned into a monster, became very violent two survivors talking about completely different killers almost a decade apart. Yet, their descriptions are chilling in their similarity. Crazed, demonic, monstrous. These are words from the eye of the storm. Keep them in mind as we return to Carol, half handcuffed and fighting for her life in Ted Bundy's VW. When he pulled the gun out and said, I'll blow your head off, that's when I just fought even harder. I was punching and screaming and then just fighting, and uh, all my fingernails were broken. They were all broken off. I just remember being in disbelief that this was really happening, that it was real. It's incredible that you remember thinking that. How do you escape? I don't know how I managed to get the car door open, but I got it opened, and he slid out over my seat, over the passenger seat, out the side onto the sidewalk with me. And we were struggling outside of the car. And that's when I could feel, it was a crowbar and I could see it in his hand. And he was trying to hit me in the head with it. And um, at that point, a car started coming the opposite direction. So I don't know if I just finally broke loose 
or if the car coming made him stop trying to hit me and I was able to run out into the street to this car and I just flung open their door and jumped in on him. That car saved your life. How did the people inside react? It was an elderly couple and I threw myself in on them just and started screaming. This man just tried to kidnap me, take me to the police station. I was screaming and there I was sitting in their car with a handcuff on one of my wrist and I, they didn't know what to think. They didn't know if I had escaped from somewhere. I just threw myself in on them. I think I was hysterical. Carol beats the odds and makes it to safety, leaving Ted Bundy seething with anger. Coming up, I'll find out what he did next. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. If you're looking for a little extra peace of mind, you might want to check out Simply Safe. Simply Safe was kind enough to send me a home protection system to try out, and I couldn't believe how easy it was to set up. Not only that, I'm kind of a gear nerd, and I was really impressed by how clear the camera was. I also love the smart lock keyless entry because there are a lot of things to remember each day, and my keys aren't always on that list, okay? Not only that, Simply Safe offers a 60 day money back guarantee, and US News and World Report awarded them the best home security systems of 2024. Simply Safe has given me and many of our listeners real peace of mind, and I want you to have that too. Right now, get 20% off any new Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com/slash mind of a monster. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Carol's escape, like Rebecca's, is remarkable on so many levels. Her instinct not to wear the seatbelt could well have saved her life. And her refusal to let Ted Bundy get both her wrists and cuffs almost certainly did. 
Perhaps the most potent weapon both women had was to recognize in an instant that they were in a fight for their lives before the opportunity to escape was gone. We don't know if Ridgway went home after Rebecca escaped, but we do know what Ted Bundy did. He continued his search, and just hours later, he abducted 17-year-old Deborah Kent and later killed her. Carol Durant picks up the rest of Bundy's evening. When he left me, he drove up to Bountiful, which is another city. He had driven to a school, and there was a play at the school, and apparently she had gone out to a car to go pick up her brother somewhere, and that's when the encounter with him happened. I think he was so enraged by the time he had driven up there and approached her, I think he just hit her, probably hit her in the head. I think he was just enraged by the time he got to her. How is there a link between what happened to you and Deborah Kent's disappearance? They did find a key in the parking lot by her car where she was taken, and it did match my handcuffs. How do you feel about that? I probably have had survivor's guilt thinking about that, that because, you know, he didn't get me that night, he drove up there, and I do think about that, about, you know, why wasn't it me? Why did I live? Why was I able to get away and not someone else? Carol's survivor's guilt is a normal response to such a traumatic experience. It's reported in war veterans, first responders, even cancer survivors. It's a significant symptom of PTSD. I can only imagine that Rebecca Garday experienced something similar as she began to realize that she has probably escaped the Green River Killer. By 1984, two years after Ridgway attacked her, there have been dozens more victims and huge media coverage. Despite keeping away from the police for so long, something tips the balance. Patty Eeks puts Rebecca's report to the task force into perspective for me. So how did Rebecca Garday change the investigation? Well, I think that Rebecca Garday was the person that really put Ridgeway on the map for the task force. So her reporting what happened to her back in the 80s was really pivotal to the task force in terms of identifying somebody as a, as a potential suspect. Ridgway had a history of having been arrested for soliciting a prostitute, and they knew he had a truck, but you know there were so many men who went through the strip area that frequented prostitutes that that alone wasn't enough to kind of make somebody a suspect. But what she described and the attack on her certainly was frightening and and kind of fit the profile of a feasible way that that the killer could be getting his victims, right? Rebecca Garday doesn't just put Ridgway on the task force's radar. She puts him right in the crosshairs. She describes a white male, 30 to 35 years old, with light brown hair and possibly a mustache. She tells him that he's driving a maroon pickup with a white canopy, and that he showed her an ID card from the Kenworth truck plant where he works. She even picks Ridgway straight out of a photo montage. Detectives confront Ridgway about soliciting and assaulting Rebecca Garday, and he admits to it, claiming the assault was a reaction to being bitten. 
the evidence seems overwhelming, but Ridgeway is still just one of a number of suspects. While the task force is still building their case to go after him, they raid the home of one of their other suspects. What we've seen in the past 24 hours hasn't been just a news story. It's been an event, almost a novel. The Green River Task Force meets the press. It wasn't just the search of a house last night. It was a zoo, a suburban house, barricades, crime scene ribbons, police and cameras, reporters and cameras, and police saying nothing. The same scene 24 hours later, a quiet, a still, no charges, no arrests, no comment. The task force's raid on a home in Riverton Heights attracts massive attention from the media. Reporters and news crews are desperate to capture the moment the Green River killer is caught. But they've got the wrong guy. The suspect is questioned and released with no charge. The repercussions for the media feeding frenzy rock the task force. Today, the fallout from that raid. The McLeans have filed a $10 million claim against King County. They also filed lawsuits, one against the task force, saying police staged the raid in a conspicuous manner, attracting the attention of neighbors. Police are also accused of telling the media they believe they had their man who murdered victims of the Green River Killer. Lessons are learned the hard way. When you're the biggest, most expensive murder investigation in the country, you can't just go knocking on a suspect's door with a warrant. Not without a dozen news crews and intense scrutiny. The Riverton Heights raid is a costly misfire for the task force. Within months, the number of investigators working on the case is cut. But Gary Ridgway is still a suspect. Detectives keep building the case to raid his home, but now they have to be absolutely certain he's their man. Back in Utah almost a decade earlier, Ted Bundy is flying under the radar for nearly a year after Carol DeRanche escapes from his car. Then, out of nowhere, he's arrested. Detectives in Salt Lake City have a golden opportunity to keep him behind bars for investigators in Colorado and Washington State. But they need something solid on him. News 4 reporter Ruth Walsh with a quick reminder of how Bundy ended up in custody in Salt Lake City. Ted Bundy was arrested in Salt Lake City August 16, 1975, and charged with possession of burglary tools and evading an officer. He was arrested by Sergeant Bob Hayward of the Utah State Patrol. Six weeks before that, Salt Lake City detectives had, in their words, focused in on Bundy after King County authorities notified them Bundy was in Utah. Salt Lake City detectives call on Carol DeRanche. If they can nail Bundy for attempting to kidnap her a year earlier, then investigators in neighboring states can take a run at him for murder. Justice for over a dozen murdered women rests on Carol's young shoulders. I hear from her about how it unfolded at the time. When Ted Bundy is arrested in Utah, how much do you and the detectives there know about his crimes elsewhere? I had started to hear about um, other women disappearing Colorado, Seattle, other places. I don't know that had, everything had really been tied together yet, but they were starting to figure it out. How do you get involved at this point? The police said they had a suspect and they called me down. They asked me to go uh, um, look at him in a lineup and I, I said I would. 
and they had him walk out with five or six other guys and the minute he walked out I knew it was him his posture and the way he was walking because I had followed him behind him and watched him walk all night the minute he spoke I knew it was him so to see him in person I definitely knew it was him I just said that's him that's him and they said wait wait a minute and I just said that's him I just kept saying that's him Carol's positive ID in a police lineup is enough for Salt Lake City detectives to charge Bundy with attempted kidnapping. The case goes to court and attracts huge media interest. Carol again on Bundy's behavior in court and in front of the cameras. He was very arrogant in the courtroom. He strutted around. He loved the attention. Um, it was a show for him. He was just very arrogant and confident. And I think he was just loving every minute of it. How was court for you? During the trial, I was still, I was 19. I was really a shy teenager, and I don't think they had a lot of defense for him. They were trying to say that I didn't know that that was really the car. But, I mean, it was. He just changed it. He painted it and fixed it up, but it was still his car. And they just, he just questioned me for hours at a time. Um just over the same thing over and over again. So it was really tiring and it was hard. What is his sentence? It was one to 15 years for aggravated kidnapping, which of course I didn't think was enough. I mean, I thought he'd be out in one to two years and then he would just do what he did. You know, he would kill again. But that's not the whole story though, is it? The sentence he gets for trying to kidnap you buys investigators in other states time to build their case against him, right? I knew they were going to take him to Colorado and for murder charges. They were going to take him there and try him for murder. Ted Bundy's guilty verdict for trying to kidnap Carol is really just the appetizer. Murder charges in Colorado and even Washington state are the main course. Because Gary Ridgway kept his killing local, there are no second chances for the Green River Task Force. They have to get Gary Ridgway for multiple homicides. A lesser conviction would be a failure. Their fingers burned by the Riverton Heights raid, they spend over two years building their case after Rebecca Garday makes him their prime suspect. Finally, in 1987, the task force raids Gary Ridgway's home and vehicles. The pressure to get their man could not be higher. Hundreds of items are seized and sent to the state crime laboratory for analysis. The outcome is a crushing disappointment. Not a single shred of evidence can be found to link Ridgway to the victims, for now. Among the hundreds of items the task force takes for analysis is a saliva swab from Ridgway's cheek. In 1987, there is little the crime lab can do with the sample, but carefully store it for detectives in the future. While in the present, once again, Ridgway is not arrested. Next time, I'll talk to the Florida sheriff who took the bite out of Bundy's campaign of killing for good and pick apart the decline of the Green River Task Force having missed their big chance to get their man. Mind of a Monster, Ted Bundy and the Green River Killer 
is brought to you by Arrow Media for ID. Your host is Dr. Michelle Ward. You can follow our show wherever you get your podcasts. And we'd love it if you could take a second to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.